I don't recommend shadow travel if you're scared of A, the dark, B, cold shivers up your spine, C, strange noises, D, going so fast you feel like your face is peeling off. In other words, I thought it was awesome. Welcome to Floor 600. This is a podcast for two friends, Natalie. And Quinn. I forgot to say my name. Read the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series by Rick Riordan. We are now reading the last book of the series, The Last Olympian. Yeah, we are. Isn't that exciting? I'm so scared. I'm like, literally, it's like, what's happening in the world? It's a real downer right now. (laughs) It really is. It's like, oof. Like, (laughs) this whole experience, (laughs) the first nine chapters is like, not... It's not as fun as it was in The Lightning Thief, okay? No, this is no longer a fun escape. It's more of a, oh, we're escaping into a worse situation. Or a different bad situation. I was going to say, is it really worse? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, because I was, like, thinking about it when they're, like... When Typhon is like rampaging across the country, I'm like, well, it's only hitting hitting certain states. <laughs> it's not hitting everywhere, is it? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, but I actually kind of like recording like this. Really, I don't know. I I, I, I I like recording like this, but I sort of I we should set up a video one because I like seeing faces. <laughs> yeah, I just like recording like this because. I can be in my pajamas instead of, like, pretending that I wasn't in my pajamas up until five minutes before you got to my house. (laughs) Okay, so I feel like this is a very controversial thing that I participate with uh, in, um, in this time right now. I put on pants every single day. Thank you very much, sir. (laughs) Sometimes you always put are, on pants, though. I know. Sometimes they're more, like, stretchy pants. Sometimes they're more comfy. Um, but, yeah, like, right now, I'm wearing jeans that I would normally wear to work. I put on jeans today for the first time since, like, two weeks ago. Because I'm not leaving my house, so there's zero point in putting on jeans. Well, I'll put the same pair of jeans on multiple days in a row, like... Oh, oh last what week I wore the same pair of jeans. <laughs> that doesn't make a difference. <laughs> lounging about the house. It's nice. They're comfy jeans. I feel yeah, like I'm like, the only person in the world that thinks jeans are comfy. They're comfy. <laughs> not as comfortable as like your favorite pair of sweatpants, though. You think you say like mm. I have a favorite pair of jeans. So do I. But they're like my comfy jeans. Are you telling me that jeans are your sweatpants? Maybe. <laughs> I don't think you're human. You're like a robot. Like, I, I have like leggings. Leggings are my sweatpants day. And normally <laughs> when I wear leggings, that is, I normally get a lot of ridicule from my father who i live with all of the time shocker with quarantine like i i lived <laughs> with him before but i was able to escape um <laughs> and my mother was th- like i was able to escape not anymore I haven't <laughs> <Okay. anybody. laughs> 
Anyway, <laughs> how's quarantine treating you guys? <laughs> I'm not going insane. No, it's already insane. Not. And this isn't helping. <laughs> <laughs> so, today on Feel Famous With Us. Last episode, we asked you people to send us... <laughs> last episode, we asked you guys to send us names for the baby centaur. And then we forgot to put it on like face or on Facebook and Instagram and like asking people to just like comment names. Um because oops. Um but we got a response. Yeah, I put it on Twitter just so you Oh you did? Yeah. Cool. Also, we have 69 followers on Twitter now. Ooh, 69. And- Sexy. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, Elliot voted for naming the baby centaur Baby Chiron. Ooh. I don't know, though. Because Chiron. Because <laughs> Chiron's annoying. <laughs> Sometimes. But maybe... It, uh, can I... I like the baby Chiron, though. Because then it's like pre-tainted Chiron. We can raise him to do right. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> but anyway, send us your suggestions in our email address box. And we're going to do something fun. When we oh, get and what to- was the other option? We had spitballed uh, last episode. Charlie. So the options now are Baby Chiron and Charlie, right? Yes. I think you cut us discussing Charlie for the name out of the episode, though. <laughs> like, nobody heard oh. that. <laughs> oops well we had discussed charlie as a name yeah (laughs) yeah so our options are baby chiron and charlie we need like a bunch more people so send us your name suggestions yeah come on and then like we're gonna like if we get enough we're gonna do like a march madness style baby name off Baby Centaur yeah. name on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think either of us really knows how March Madness works. Nope. <laughs> Do we know how anything works? <laughs> some things. Some small things. So last week we talked about Percy being intimidated by Annabeth because he is feeling intimidated by Annabeth because she's so beautiful and she's smart and she, um, I don't know, is better than him in every way. Um, (laughs) And he does not feel worthy of her affection. Uh, And does not know how to handle his feelings towards her. And we got an email talking to us about that intimidation. Yeah. So this this email is from Liam, and Liam wrote us, um, okay, so Liam said, hello, greetings from Ohio. Hello. I like Ohio. I visited there, I don't know, a few times. My uncle lives there. <laughs> nice. Um, I was just thinking that hello and Ohio rhyme, kind of. There's probably some hello, Ohio song out there in the world probably 
<laughs> he says, I have just recently started listening to your podcast. And I've been enjoying your opinions on The Last Olympian because only one podcast has gotten that far besides you. That's because we're OGs, baby. I was thinking about what you said about Percy finding Annabeth intimidating, and it's, it's bugged me a lot, too. Not to be sexist or anything, but Percy is physically stronger than Annabeth and way more powerful. This is just science. Guys are generally stronger than girls. Again, not trying to be offensive. He has also gone through all the same situations as her, including certain things in the Heroes of Olympus that I won't mention for spoilers. Thank you. They are on the same page on intimidation, period. Anyway, sorry for the rant, but coming from a very conservative family, stuff like that bothers me. Keep up the good work. Liam. All right. So I think I'm thinking about it. And I do think I know where he might have come off of this point where he, I think he, he interpreted some of the stuff that we said as we do not think that Percy should be intimidated by Annabeth. And that is because I hate it when someone tells me I intimidate them. Yes. Especially, and then specifically point to that intimidation and say, that is why you do not have dates. You know what? That is rude. And I have experienced it many, 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 many times. So I don't like it when guys blame their intimidation on, uh, on it, it blamed the intimidation on the fact that they do not have the guts to ask someone out. That said, Percy is intimidated by Annabeth for many good logical reasons. I think everyone should be intimidated by Annabeth. If Annabeth walks into the room, I think everyone should pee a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like we weren't talking about physical intimidation and their strength like comparing their physical strength and what they've been through because Annabeth and Percy have both been through a lot and especially in the last five years and especially since Annabeth ran away from home at seven years old what we were talking about was people like Quinn said using that intimidation as an excuse to like shift their lack of courage to talk to somebody or like ask somebody out onto that person and making it that person's fault that they are strong or opinionated or like to voice their thoughts. And that's what we were talking about. Yeah. And it gets to a point with some people where they say like, oh, you're intimidating. Like a man might say, you're so intimidating to a woman to try to get her to be less of who she is so that he feels more secure in himself. And that's where all that was coming from. Not necessarily saying that that's what Percy means at all. He's, he's 15 and he has a crush on Annabeth. Like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And all crushes are intimidating. The question is if you're able to get over that intimidation, you know? Yeah. And that, that's the thing that it's like, at least I have had the experience of being told oh I'm intimidating so that means that guys won't ask you out and it's like well I don't mind being intimidating because that weeds out the weaker guys (laughs) (laughs) exactly if you can't get over your intimidation that's on you yeah 
that's a hundred percent on them. That's not your fault at all. So it's like, and I think Percy is in this moment of he has to get over his intimidation, and he's getting to that point. Right, and there's nothing like necessarily wrong with feeling that way. It's using mm-hmm. it against the other person to get them to small in themselves for you to feel better is when it becomes an issue. No. And even after that, like, so even after Percy and Annabeth get together, I'm sure that intimidation is not gone. He just knows how to deal with it. And he knows that this intimidating person that he loves is on his side too. Some of the times. (laughs) Some of the times. But he's not doing really dumb (laughs) yeah (laughs) running recklessly headlong into battle for example yeah without her (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so i think that's that's what we were trying to say about that subject yeah and then also yes percy is way more powerful than annabeth and way stronger than annabeth but Annabeth has survived the exact same things as Percy for longer. Yeah. Maybe not the exact same, but a lot of the same things. A lot of the same. And he's a son of Poseidon. Of course, he's super powerful. And Annabeth's mind is super powerful, but she's not a daughter of the big three. Of course, she's not going to be able to make oceans do her bidding. Yeah. I love them both. So Me much. too. They're both powerful. <laughs> We're both intimidating. And I love it, yeah. especially in, I feel like Percy doesn't understand how intimidating he is to people. And I love that. Yeah, like, he's just like, yeah, I've got these powers, but like, look how cool everyone else is. And everybody else is like, oh, it's Percy Jackson. <laughs> yeah, it like, look like the painting that Rachel made of Percy, oh, defeating, what's his name? Giant Antaeus. in the diaper, and yes, and what? And Antaeus. Yes, Antaeus. Um, the painting that she made, she was just like, he's absolutely fierce, and he saw it, and he was like, that I look terrifying. And yeah, he's like that's what you looked like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's just like, uh. Oh, I thought I was making a fun joke. <laughs> Yeah, so he's young and doesn't really realize how powerful he is, except in this book, he's becoming significantly more BA as time goes on. Yeah. And like, I feel like it's completely on accident. (laughs) Uh, kind of. Well, at at points. At (laughs) points. I'm sorry, but yeah. I shouldn't have said completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, thanks for... Are you for... ready to start the recap or wait? What? Sorry. I was just going to say... It makes things awkward. <laughs> I was just going to say... <laughs> thank you to Elliot for voting for the baby centaur's name. And thank you to Liam for contributing to our discussion. Yeah. So now let's get into the recap of the three chapters that are not the four chapters 
because I can't do simple calculation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, originally Natalie was like, all right, we're reading six through nine. And then it was like, like two days ago. Um, six through nine is like 70 pages. Let's do six through eight. <laughs> Fine by me. Because <laughs> I was like, man, this just feels like so long. And I was like, did I come? And then I was like, yes, <laughs> I sure did. It's fine. Oops. Don't judge. Math is hard. No one needs to do <laughs> math ever. That's math. not true, but okay. <laughs> Let's get started finally on chapter six. My cookies get scorched. Um, scorched? Ouch. It's never good when a cookie gets scorched. Burnt, you can salvage something. Scorched, there's nothing to salvage. I gave that four stars. I gave it three because it's not that exciting and it's not funny. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I was hungry when I was rating it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Percy's first experience with shadow travel is an interesting one, but given who he is, he actually enjoys it. Excuse me. I totally burped <laughs> in the middle of talking. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> So he ends up um, with Mrs. O'Leary in Connecticut, looking down at this like big valley. And on one side, there's like a giant two-story white colonial house on this huge wooded property. And on the other side is a highway. <laughs> I like how Percy reflects on what living in a house like that would be like. Yeah. Because he's lived in his whole life, minus, you know, being at camp for three summers. And it's just... a. Uh, you know, he just has a little tiny garden box on his fire escape. And it's like, he's looking at this house and he's like, wow, like that would be something. Yeah, they have an actual <laughs> yard. And a huge one. Imagine Mrs. O'Leary running around there. I always forget that people in the city don't have like yards. And even people who don't live in the city don't necessarily have yards. I could not, um, I don't know, maybe that's just... My, like, privileged speaking that I don't even know life without <laughs> having a yard. I don't think I know any person in my family that doesn't have at least some space for greenery. Half an acre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when we moved to this house, I was like, oh my gosh, this yard is fabulous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Order of the size of your yard. <laughs> yeah. Mrs. O'Leary is so sleepy from shadow traveling, she just turns in a circle and flops down and goes to sleep. Good for her. Yeah. Sleepy girly. So then Nico materializes besides, beside Percy, and I like the how Percy describes it, as if the shadows had darkened and created him. Ooh. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Nico is obviously exhausted as well, and he kind of stumbles and, like, Percy has to help him. But he says he's okay, and Percy's like, how did you get so good at shadow travel? And Nico's like, oh, I ran into a few walls, made a few trips to China. You know, the usual. And I'm like, okay, but... <laughs> so Nico says also that the first time he shadow traveled, he passed out for a week. And I'm like, what if he just shadow traveled to, like, the Great Wall and just slept there for a week? <laughs> My thing is, did anybody see him sleeping in the middle of, I don't know, in the middle of nowhere? Like, 
What if someone came upon a just sleeping, exhausted goth teen or goth 12-year-old <laughs> and uh, yeah. was like, okay, I'm going to take this small goth to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> the small goth? That's Nico's new official nickname. <laughs> the small goth. <laughs> But yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, where was he when he just fell asleep for a week and didn't move? Yeah, that cannot be safe. (laughs) Was he just shadow traveling around camp? You know, like, just disappeared into the woods and nobody noticed. Hopefully, but still, there's (laughs) monsters in them trees. Exactly. How did he not die? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe some dryads kept watch over him. Nah, dryads don't like children of Hades. I don't know. That might be a Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe Hades was like, hey, Electo, go make sure nothing eats my kid. <gasps> that would be so cute. <laughs> okay, but I'm mad at Hades. He's a jerk oh, later. Oh, he's a major jerk. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> so- <laughs> what? The king of the dad is bad. Okay, well, on social media... Everybody's like, Hades is such a great father. I'm just saying, he didn't start out that way. Okay? Nope. He had to work his way to being great father of the year. Um, and I don't even yeah. know if he's at that point yet. <laughs> I have no idea. He's definitely not right now. Nope. Uh, so, Nico and Mrs. O'Leary need to rest. So, they're too tired. And Nico says that he can only shadow travel once or twice a night without getting, like, totally exhausted. hmm so they have to go down and check out Luke Castellan's old house. So they head down to the White House, and there's, like, the sidewalk heading up to the front door is lined with, like, beanbag creatures, like, mythological creatures. And they're all, like, really gross and soggy and faded, and there's, like, a tree growing through one of them. <laughs> and the front porch has a ton of wind chimes hanging on it. And then the front door has the name Castellan painted on it in English and then under it in Greek. Did you ever um, leave any stuffed animals outside? No, but I've seen other people do it. I only did it once. It was very sad. It wasn't on purpose. I still have that toy because it, it makes me look see, feel sad every time. <laughs> I was way too precious about my stuffed animals. Like, they were very important to me so I like protected them from all bad things happening (laughs) never ever ever would have left one outside well I would like take mine outside and we would play in the garden while like my mom would work in the garden and I would whatever play with my stuffed animals outside and like we had a lot of pasta or we still have a lot of pastas and their leaves I don't know if I was just extremely small at the time or the plant or the specific plant that year was just gigantic but I definitely remember like fully hiding underneath the hosta plant and having like all of my toy- my stuffed animals in there and whatever, and I would play hide and seek with my stuffed animals. Um, but one one week I I had like it was like oh it started to rain or something, so you had to run inside real quick. And I left my Dalmatian stuffed animal under the hosta. 
And I, I didn't realize I had left it and I couldn't find it. And we couldn't find it all the rest of the summer. And literally, like the next year, my mom came in and was like, guess what I found? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, houses can get really huge, but you were also just a small child. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. I- I'm sure it was a combination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Nico's barely knocked on the door when it opens and this old lady is standing there and she's like really eccentric looking and she's got crazy white hair and she's wearing a pink house coat that's covered in ash and scorched marks and she yells, Luke, at Nico and they're both just like, uh, what? So she thinks that Nico and Percy are both Luke. First it's Nico and then she thinks that Percy is Luke and like latches onto Percy and she invites them into their house and she's like, into her house. And she's like, I have your lunch ready. I knew you would come back. So the house inside is just as strange as it was outside. There's mirrors everywhere and candles and a bunch of depictions of Hermes. But most strangely is this picture of Luke that looks exactly like the sketch Rachel made of him. And Percy's just like, question marks, <laughs> question marks. He's like, how does Rachel see these things? So the old lady, Miss Castellan, takes them into the kitchen, and there's hundreds of Tupperware containers with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in them. That'd be so concerning. Yeah. Like, the bottom ones are covered in green fuzz, and... Have you ever been into a hoarder's house? Yeah. It's just like sad this just feels it is sad especially since i know she's making she's making her peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for her son who is never coming back it's just sad upon sad upon sad and you know there's animals living in that house does she not have any family to take care of her you know that's what i'm wondering i guess not (sighs) so sad and on top of the oven there's cookie sheets and like stacks of cookie sheets with burnt cookies and empty kool-aid pitchers in the sink and it's like she's just been doing the same thing over and over and over again and percy notices that there are pictures of hermes taped all around the kitchen window um including the ftd logo which i thought was funny because i used to see that at the flower shop all the time when i worked at the flower shop and it's like, oh, yeah. What is the FTD logo? They never really, like, explained it super well to me. It's like a flower ordering system. And they, like, um, their, like, point of sale system was the one we used at the flower shop. And the logo is, like, black and it has Hermes and gold on it, like, running. Okay. It's flowers and something. Flowers what? Sorry, you cut out. Flores Trans World Delivery. Yeah, so they, they like, they made the POS, the, the point of sale system that we used at the flower shop. And it's in the logo. Um, he's, like, holding a bouquet of flowers. Aww. And she has that all over her house. Yeah. That's so sad. I just sent a picture of it to your phone. <laughs> But yeah, so I was like, oh, I know exactly what they're talking about. 
Ooh, it's so pretty. Yeah. He's got a nice little tush. <laughs> Nico finally asks Mrs. Castellan about Luke, and she tells him that Luke left when he was in third grade, which is way too young to be running away. Yeah. And Wait, how old was... Life- like, wait. So third grade, you're what? Nine, ten. So he's a little older than Annabeth, right? Yeah. Yeah, he is older than Annabeth when he went. Okay. Just wanted to confirm that. <laughs> yeah. Miss Casella has been making Luke's lunch, like, pretty much every day since then, which is really sad. It's really sad. She says that Hermes comes to visit her sometimes. And her eyes are kind of weird. They're, like, kind of foggy and, like, unfocused. So Nico asks what happened to them, and she tells them that she's always been able to see through the mist and was offered an important job, but it didn't work out. And Hermes told her not to try doing this job, but she was like, it's my destiny, Hermes! And then Hermes was right, which seems like it happens a lot. (laughs) She seems to, I don't know, just by saying like, oh, it's my destiny, it seems like she was already... An interesting person before whatever happened happened. Is that just me? No. Well, Percy actually wonders about that, too. She's like, okay, so, or he is like, I can't um, keep my pronouns straight. <laughs> um, he is like, when did the, you know, sandwich making, like, was she like this before Luke was born, after Luke was born, the whole time. Like, when did this happen? <laughs> yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. But she's, uh, Miss Castellan says that Luke left because he's trying to protect her from the monsters. Hmm. So do you think that's, so do you think, like, monsters started attacking them at home, which is why Luke left? Or do you think he just told her i'm leaving there's monsters bye (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i don't know hopefully we'll get more of an explanation yeah because she's like i knew you would come back i knew you weren't ashamed of me so it's like who's telling her that he left because he was ashamed of her Mm -hmm. i don't know it's really sad he left when he was nine you know and she i know since then and if he was already ashamed of his mom at the age of nine. The heck was going on? Yeah, that's not a happy home. No. So Percy asks when she last saw Luke and she says that he had a scar on his face, but his eyes were still a beautiful blue. So she actually has seen him since after he got the scar, but before Kronos. Yeah. And Nico's like, did he ask you for anything? And she's like, yes, he asked me for my blessing. And I gave it to him, of course. And Nico's just like, gives Percy this real, like, I told you so kind of a look. And he's like, all right, that's all the information we need. And then we, so we can just get out of here. (laughs) Thank goodness. And Miss Castellan just drops the cookie tray and her eyes turn green. And she starts speaking in this raspy voice talking about Luke and asking Hermes for help and just saying, not his fate, not his fate, over and over again. And she, like, grabs Nico by the shoulders and shakes him, and he tries to push her away and all this 
it's like, whoa, what the heck is happening kind of a thing. And then all of a sudden she just returns back to normal. That's a concerning thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Nico's pretty freaked out, and Percy is too, but <clears throat> Nico's like, we need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> and she's like, but you can't leave. Hermes will be here soon. I want to see his boy. And it's just so sad. It is. Because, like, Hermes, it's like, has he even been there in the past? Like, when's the last time Hermes would have visited her? Yeah, who knows? So when do you think Luke went to, um, I don't know. When, when do you think Luke saw Miss Castellan last? So that's, so before Kronos, after his scar. So would that be like in between the lightning thief and I guess Sea of Monsters? I was thinking between Sea of Monsters and uh, the other one. Titan's Curse? Yes. <laughs> because it's been Titan's Curse when he starts really being concerning. Yeah. But at the same time, he looks sick in Titan's Curse. Why would he look sick if he was already... Oh, so maybe it's between Titan's Curse and Battle. No, because he, remember in Titan's Curse, he falls off that cliff. And he's fine. Oh, yeah. So he already had to have had Miss Castellan's blessing. So it must have been between ourselves. I feel like this should be a discussion for the end of the episode. <laughs> okay, let's come back to that then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so as Nico and Percy are leaving, Miss Castellan grabs Percy's wrist. And, you know, this whole time she thinks that Percy is Luke even though they look nothing alike. And she makes him promise to be safe. And Percy says, I will, Mom. No. Literally run down the sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> that, that music starts. So <laughs> <laughs> I can hear my dogs going nuts. I, I don't know what they're doing. They're in a different part of the house. <laughs> Three doors away, but you can still hear through. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of dogs, they find Mrs. O'Leary back at the cliff, just chilling, and she has a new friend scratching her ears because she's a good girl. And Aww. this friend is a girl about eight years old. She has mousy brown hair and a brown dress and a scarf around her head, like she's like a little prairie girl. Absolutely terrifying. That's terrifying. I'm sorry if I walked into the middle of the woods and out, <laughs> like, and expecting to just see my dog sleeping, and instead see a little colonial girl, or sorry, a little house on the prairie girl petting the dog and with a fire, like kindling a fire, and you're like, "Hello, I know your name. Would you like some food? It's definitely not poison. No, <laughs> nope, right out of there." <laughs> Okay, when I read this, all that I thought about her her being there was, what kind of hair is mousy brown? <laughs> like, seriously, um, what color is that? Like, the color of a mouse. So it's like a mixture, I guess I would, I would describe it as a mix of, like, gray and 
brown together. Yeah, but, like, I don't know, like, I can't think of anybody I know in real life who has mousy brown hair. I can. If you say me, I'm going to um, you through this computer. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to, no, not you. Um, but another person we went, uh, we went to high school with her. I probably, oh, I can't say this. Um, is it insulting to have mousy brown hair? Yeah, I think so. Exactly. I don't want to tell say anybody has mousy brown hair, especially since I'm pretty sure she dyes it now. I don't know. Uh, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> you know who you're talking about? Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, yep. <laughs> it's a person we're no longer friends with, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Moving on. Percy is a large girl <laughs> but Nico just bows and says hello again lady Ooh. wait you know the prairie girl <laughs> <laughs> so the girl bids Percy and Nico to sit and she makes this big dinner appear before them uh, which Percy describes as the kind of home-cooked meal people are supposed to have but never do um, mm. such a like funny but sad and kind of a dig of a comment <laughs> <laughs> what's in the meal what's the meal i can't remember i'm trying to find it oh it's um there were plates of roast beef baked potatoes buttered carrots fresh bread and a whole bunch of other foods i haven't had in a long time my stomach started to rumble it was the kind of home-cooked meal people are supposed to have but never do the girl made a five-foot-long dog biscuit appear for Mrs. O'Leary, who happily began tearing it to shreds. Roast beef, buttered, what? Buttered carrots? <laughs> yeah, who puts butter on carrots? I guess that would be good. Would, it, would you bake the carrots? Would you steam them? Would they just be raw carrots? I've never <laughs> had buttered carrots. I'm extremely intrigued by buttered carrots. <laughs> They're probably baked. The butter, butter over would them. not ruin the carrot. No. Butter doesn't ruin anything. <laughs> Except my guts. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, it feels good going down. Yeah, it does. <laughs> So if you guys have recipes or, like, your grandma has a recipe for buttered carrots, please send it to us. Or maybe that's what, you, maybe that's your comfort quarantine food. Yeah. <laughs> maybe all you're eating in quarantine is buttered carrots. Maybe all you have is butter and some carrots. Look up some buttered carrots recipes. Send us some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But good old Percy is just such a nice boy and sacrifices some of his food to the gods before eating, which makes Hestia very happy. And he says that he recognizes Hestia. By the way, the girl is Hestia. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, thank you for that, by the way, Natalie. <laughs> the goddess of the hearth. And he's, Percy says that he recognizes Hestia from the first time he went to camp where she was sitting by the fire in the middle of the commons area. And I'm like, did he actually mention this in the first book or is Uncle Rick retrofitting this? Is this real? He does mention this, yes. Okay, good. And I think they even mention it a little bit in Titan's Curse when 
when it's like Nico's first day. I think Percy like notices Nico talking to some girl by the fire. Oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's yeah. been here for a while. It's just okay. you don't notice notice her until you read back. Gotcha. I remember the Nico part now that you mentioned it, but I didn't remember Percy seeing her at the fire. Yeah. I sort of wonder if she's there every um every time there's a new camper or whatever, she she goes to the their first night at camp. That would be a nice oh. thing for her to do. Yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. Um apparently Nico was the first half blood in a very long time to talk to her, so she's kinda like got a little soft spot for Nico, our boy Nico. And Nico asks why she's not off fighting Typhon with the others. And she's like, I'm no good at fighting. (laughs) Someone has to keep the home fires burning. And Percy sees that her eyes are burning flames like Ares' eyes, but they're like warm, cozy, inviting, cabin in the woods kind of vibes. Well, it's like she's the goddess of the home front. She's the one who maintains the home while everybody else is out fighting and then when the fighting's done she's the one who ensured that there's some nice food on the table when you get home yeah it's like being gone for a really long day at work and then you come home and your family members already made dinner and you're like oh i love you yeah she probably had a lot of stuff going on during, like, World War One and World War Two and other things, but it's, like, the home front was a super hard, strong thing, so, like, she maybe, maybe she encouraged some people to write letters to people and knit some socks. <laughs> plant victory gardens. Send some socks to, yeah, plant victory gardens. Send things to soldiers. Help out. Encouragement. That's what her thing. She likes to remind people that there's something to come home to. Yeah, and she's so underrated, but she's, like, she's one of my favorites. She is. And she, like, is able to keep out of a lot of the, like, the larger drama of the gods, so she's not problematic in some of the ways that, um, maybe Zeus would be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or pretty much name any of the gods. (laughs) She just, like, does her own thing, and she less helps people out, you know? Mm-hmm. There, there is no myth where Hestia comes along and, like, smites someone. <laughs> She'll just, like, give him a nice pat on the back and shuffle him towards the fire. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after the boys eat, Hestia asks if they had a good visit with Miss Castellan. And she says that Miss Castellan was born with the gift of sight, like Queen Sally and Rachel. Um, but she attracted Hermes' attention. They fell in love. They had Luke. But Miss Castellan, quote-unquote, went too far. And Percy says that it's, quote-unquote, no wonder that Luke ran away because he must have been scared. And Hermes wasn't around. And his mom was, you know, yeah, I don't know, not mentally really ill. Either. Yeah. And he's getting attacked by monsters, and he's probably, you know, he's nine years old, and he was probably thinking, there's got to be people out there like me. He just had to go find them. Mm -hmm. It's like, why wasn't 
Luke assigned a satyr. You know, they could have made his life so much easier. They, didn't, they don't send him out until they're 12 years old. And even then, they have to be able to uh, sense them. So, like, the satyrs are going off the same same signals that the monsters are going off of. But there's a lot more monsters than satyrs. Yeah, but Hermes knew about Luke. He wasn't a well, mystery Hermes baby. Well, Hermes isn't the greatest dad. I know this is a revolutionary concept. <laughs> God's <laughs> very attentive parents. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Hestia asks, or uh, Hestia says that it's easy to judge people and asks if Percy will follow Luke's path and seek the same powers. And Nico's like, we don't have a choice. This is the only way to make Percy strong enough to fight Kronos. And Hestia is very obviously unhappy about this because she makes the flames fly up 30 feet into the air. And she says, sometimes the hardest power to master is the power of yielding. And I don't understand this because they can't yield to Kronos. I know. Like, she says this, but it's not like she gives them any other alternative of, like, how to, like, what else would make me strong enough to defeat this guy? (laughs) Exactly. She's just, like, mad about it. And then she's like, you know, sometimes you have to back down not all powers are spectacular it's like well what what else is percy gonna do yeah and at this point we don't even know what percy's plan is no nico's still being or well i don't know percy knows what the plan is we just don't um rick is holding the uh, the readers in suspense on that part um yes but we can tell it's something serious by the fact that no one wants him to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Hestia actually gave up her throne for Dionysus when he was made a god. And it unbalanced, unbalanced the council. So now there are seven guys and five girls, a.k.a. seven gods and five goddesses. Mm-hmm. She's like... Now I tend to fight the fire. I fade slowly into the background. I'm not famous. Nobody writes songs about me. And she's like, I am the last Olympian. Title. I keep the peace. Credits. Go. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yep. I keep the peace. I yield when necessary. Can you do this? And I'm like, no, I can't. (laughs) Not giving up my throne for no man. I don't care what he's done. I know. I was like, I will talk about this more in Oh My Gods, but I'm very impressed that she was able to yield all of her power. I got not all of her power, yield her position on the council. That was like, she was a big deal. She Maybe she was like, me not being on the council doesn't change how important I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So she's, like, secure enough to change. Yeah. I don't know. She's, like, secure enough in her own, like, self-confidence, basically. Like, I know I'm better than all of these guys. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm going to get a little bit of their offerings every time someone gives them an offering. I'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's that. I'm not totally sure. I don't know. It. Yeah. This whole conversation is kind of strange to me. It is. It is a very strange conversation. Percy also doesn't know what Hestia means. And he's like, I have no choice but to continue to do this. I have to stop Luke. And Hestia's like, well, I can't help you then. But I can take you home. 
since you sacrificed some of your dinner to me. <laughs> so she waves her hand and transports Nico and Percy and Mrs. O'Leary away into Queen Sally's living room on the Upper East Side. <laughs> Including Mrs. O'Leary, who somehow fits in this, uh, uh, what I'm assuming is a tiny apartment. Yeah, that would be a bit of a tight fit. Yeah. Maybe it's less tiny now that they have Paul. Maybe. So Paul comments that, he's like, oh, so it's true about the monsters and the gods and you being a demigod and all that. So apparently Percy did tell him, we just didn't get to see it. Yeah. And that kind of storytelling annoys me because it feels like, I don't, it feels almost like lazy in a way. Well, he does say that in that same sort of stride, the way that he says, oh, I told Paul, but he didn't believe me really fully. Um, in that same, like, I think of the paragraph above it, he says, oh, Miss o- Mrs. O'Leary has met my ma- mom only once before, long story. We don't get to see that story. I'm guessing it might be a part of, like, the Demigod Diaries or something. And I wonder if that Paul thing is there, too. I have no idea. I haven't heard anything about that. Um, Like, I don't don't think Rick did it this way because he didn't feel like telling us the story. He's obviously just trying to, like, keep with the timeline. Mm -hmm. It just bugs me much because we literally talked about this, like, last episode or episode before when you're, like, does Paul know? And I was like, no, because Percy didn't tell him. Well, Percy did tell him. We he just we didn't know. He just didn't believe him. <laughs> yeah, so now it's six chapters into this book, and it's like, oh, I told Paul last fall. Like, well, thanks for telling us what? that you told him. <laughs> yeah, and Percy's like, thanks for not freaking out, Paul. And Paul's like, I am freaking out. It's just awesome. <laughs> I'm like, what? So I don't know. It's it's just, like, I don't like that in stories. It irritates me no matter what, no matter what the story is. Yeah. It's sort of like I would rather him not have it known at all, and then this would be his introduction. But at the same time, then that would be a much longer conversation. Exactly. So Rick only has the rest of this book to tell this part of the story. Yeah, and at this point, he probably didn't know if he was going to be writing the five other five million other books that he has gone on to write <laughs> since then so he he didn't know if he was going to be able to continue this story so i think he was sort of just like i ain't gotta wrap up as much th- as many things as i can yeah and even the rest of the books he's written like they're not really about percy mm-hmm. not specifically yeah percy's like in is percy does Percy make a cameo in all of the books or only, like, Heroes and Kane Chronicles? Well, he has a major role in Heroes. I think he appears in one of the side quests of Kane Chronicles. Um, oh. I'm not sure about Trials of Apollo. And then I know Annabeth makes an appearance in Magnus Chase. I love Annabeth. Yeah. But yeah, after, after Percy Jackson and the Olympians... The story is no longer just about Percy. So he, so Rick does sort of have to wrap up a lot of the main, the big questions that we still have. So, all right, he has to get Paul and Sally together. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so I understand why I did it. I just, it's just still bothers me. <laughs> Which, it's understandable. you know, you can even things and the things you like, yep, so. you can, yeah, exactly. Um, Percy tells Paul and Sally about everything that's happening with Typhon, which I'm sure they've already noticed, blah, blah, blah. And she, he kind of notices that Sally is, like, looking tired because she's writing her novel until the small hours of the night. Oh, I and love Sally. I know, me too. And the moon lace that Calypso gave him is, like, flourishing in the little fire escape garden. So pa- Percy asks, asks for Sally's blessing, but obviously she's hesitant to give it because she's like, she doesn't know if Percy will come back alive. Yeah. But Percy and Paul share this, like, understanding, it says. It's literally just like, uh, hold on, let me find it. I, I could tell I'd have to push her harder if I wanted her to agree, but I didn't want to. I remembered poor Miss Castellan in her kitchen waiting for her son to come home, and I realized how lucky I was. My mom had always been there for me, always tried to make things normal for me, even with the gods and monsters and stuff, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I locked eyes with Paul, and some kind of understanding passed between us. So then Paul encourages Sally to give Percy her blessing, and she does. So I don't know. It's just kind of a weird, like, I don't know how I feel about it. It's weird. Yeah, it it is weird because I feel like we haven't got a lot of inter- like we haven't seen that much interaction between Percy and Sally, let alone Percy and Paul. Yeah. I think the last time we had a full conversation with or like I guess the last time we had a full conversation with Paul, it was when Poseidon walked, crashed Percy's party and Paul was just <laughs> like, "Who is this man?" <laughs> and then before that, all we had was Paul being teacher Paul at the at the academy when the Impusa attacked, or whatever at the school when the Impusa attacked. So we haven't had that much of just Percy and Paul. We know that from uh, him like remembering how to kill a crab from his whatever like holidays with Paul. Um, they have had a lot of bonding experiences. <laughs> yeah. But but it's just that we're not a part of that. So maybe there is some kind of, like, they're able to, they understand each other. I feel like maybe they're just, like, extreme bros. I don't know. <laughs> but I did, like, I think when they, when Paul and Sally first walk in, when, when, they, when they first sort of teleport into the <laughs> living room, Percy says we got my parents out of our bedroom or or we got my parents out of the bedroom and into the kitchen and he calls them my parents. And I, I underline that because I love that. Yeah. It's really sweet. I was going to say like, Paul is the first real father figure Percy has ever had. I'm not counting Poseidon because he's not, he's still not around. No, he's cool, but it's not the same. I guess he's not the first real father figure because Gabe would honestly be his first real father figure. Ew, no. But Paul would be his first good father figure. Gabe was not a father to Percy at all. No, no, I'm not saying that he was at all a father. I'm just saying that he was in that position to be the father figure. Yeah, but he failed at it miserably. Oh, he failed at it miserably. (laughs) So... Maybe it's just, like, Percy asking Paul for help. 
Yeah, and Paul is still probably trying to get on the good side of Percy. And now he's really understanding Percy fully for the first time. Because I, I think he had probably... I don't know, after they told him that, oh yeah, this is all, this is what's happening, he says himself, I didn't actually believe that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. This is a big moment for Paul and Percy. <laughs> it is a big moment. When I first read it, I was like, I was like, I don't know, I, I felt weird about it, but I guess it makes more sense now. And, and then Paul says, uh, but it sounds to me, it sounds like Percy is doing something noble. I wish I had that much courage. Uh, I got a lump in my throat. I didn't get compliments like that too much. No. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just showing us, like, oh, maybe it's, like, Percy. Oof. Maybe Percy's kind of realizing that, like, if he doesn't come back, his mom will still have someone. Oh, wow. Thanks for <laughs> making me feel those feels. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> it's true though <laughs> I mean think of that like think of what Percy is asking her to do and then he sees Paul who obviously loves her so much and like is helping her live her best life yeah if I don't come back Paul will still be here and she doesn't really have a choice in what in the matter of not giving him her blessing because if she doesn't give him her blessing he'll die definitely, definitely. <laughs> If she does give her his or give him her blessing, there's a fifty percent. I don't know. There's less a chance. Ten percent, thirty percent chance that he won't die. Yeah, yeah. She she does not. It's not like it's a easy choice. No, it's not. Like she. So Paul encourages her Sally to give her blessing, and she does it. Um. But she gives Percy her cell phone and makes him promise to call. And she says, she says, Percy, one last thing. If you, if you survive this fight with Kronos, send me a sign. If you survive, not yeah. home. <laughs> Imagine how hard that would be to say to your kid. And, yeah, and she's just like, send me a sign, some kind of sign. And he's just like, I can't take the phone. Like, I, I can't, like, that doesn't, monsters and phones. Like, I will yeah. immediately be mobbed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So she's like, oh, just send some kind of signal. And Paul's like, like, Theseus. And Nico, the small goth, <laughs> points out. Yeah. <laughs> Theseus forgot to raise the sails to send the signal. And his father jumped off the palace roof. It's like, all right, don't be like Theseus. Yeah. So Percy says that he'll send Sally some kind of blue signal, and Sally promises to avoid jumping off palace roofs. And <laughs> they hug and say goodbye. Um, and like for all they know, this is the last time any of them will see it. Any of the other ones will see each other. I don't know why I said that's so weird, but Mrs. O'Leary doesn't want to shadow travel again. Um and Percy asks Nico if they have to go to L.A., and Nico's like, no, there's a closer entrance to the underworld. Which brings us to Chapter 7. My math teacher gives me a lift. Four stars. Ooh. I gave that four stars as well. For nice. For awkwardness. 
And not to mention the fact that we know who Percy's math teacher was. Exactly. It doubles the awkwardness. <laughs> if you're just getting a ride from your math t- teacher, that's already a little tense. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> you never know when they're going to just start quizzing you. Um, <laughs> Sounds like your grandma. <laughs> It is my grandma. My grandma was a math teacher. You never know when she might start quizzing you. It's a very nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Twinning. So, Percy <laughs> emerged from their shadow travel in Central Park in New York City. And Ooh. back to the lightning thief. It's kind of embarrassing that they had to go all the way to Los Angeles. To get into the underworld. Literally all they had to do was go downtown. <laughs> like Grover and Annabeth could have picked Percy up. <laughs> like, let's go. To Central Park. So many near-life experiences, de- or near-death experiences could have been avoided if they had only known. <laughs> About the door of Orpheus. <gasps> Ooh. Yes. So Orpheus slash the dude with the lyre, slash the dude with the harp, according to Percy, used his magic to charm the earth, the earth and open a new route into the underworld. And because of that, they need music to open the door. And Percy's like, oh no, I am not singing for this. So instead he's like, oh, I know what to do. And he calls Grover. I guess like the issue of that before was like they weren't close enough together, but now Percy can like feel Grover's proximity, whereas he couldn't before, I guess. I don't know. It's not very well explained. It's just like No, it isn't. Well, in my empathy link, which sounds weird. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, I can feel it humming now, or like something like that. Yeah. And that's it. It's like, oh, my empathy link was really tingling for the first time in months, which either meant a whole lot of people had suddenly switched on the nature channel or Grover was close. So he like senses Grover and he's like, I'll call Grover. (laughs) Nico's like giving up hope on this working. So Percy like concentrates real hard and he sees this image of Grover in his mind sleeping among the roots of a big tree covered in twigs and leaves. And Percy like shouts in his mind, food pancakes and Grover wakes up (laughs) immediately on his way to Percy Nico so he reaches them and huzzah Grover is back and he reaches them like really quickly too it seems maybe it was like a flash forward or whatever with like was like like a Rick Riordan cut to but um no Grover says I was at the other end of the park. The dryads had this great idea of passing me through the trees to get me here. They don't understand height very well. (laughs) So the dryads did him a solid and helped him travel through the park at, like, the speed of light. How nice. Yeah. So Grover has stopped trying to disguise himself as human, and his horns have grown so much now that they show above his hair. Good. I like that he's living his true self. Same. So Percy asks him where he's been for the last two months, but Grover doesn't know that he's been gone that long. He's like, two, two months? What? I know, and then he's just like, Juniper's gonna kill me. Yeah. (laughs) So, but he tells Percy and Nico that he remembers someone knocked him out, and it's this guy walking around wearing a long black coat who doesn't cast a shadow, and every time he passed a human, they would just curl up on the ground and go to sleep. 
and Grover had followed him for some reason. That sounded like a good idea. <laughs> and asked him what he was doing. And the guy just said, just having a look around. You should always scout a battlefield before the battle. And then he put Grover to sleep. For time. And Nico's like, oh, you met Morpheus, the god of dreams. You're lucky you woke up at all. And they're like, what? So Morpheus just is just um, one more uh, minor god who's working for Kronos, unfortunately. Yeah. So they tell Grover their plan. And much like Queen Sally, Grover is hesitant to help, but he finally is like, all right, I guess I have to do this. So he plays his reed pipes to open the door, hugs Percy, and scampers off to find Juniper and continue whatever it was he was doing two months ago. Well, he's rallying the troops or whatever. He's getting the dryads and naiads and the other eyed ads and whatever <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, ready yeah. for battle or whatever. Oh, yeah. And the hunting down demigods and stuff. So Nico and Percy head down the pass into the underworld, and Mrs. O'Leary, like, running happily ahead of them, and it's like, she's finally going home! <laughs> um, she's so cute. Yeah! So, they reach the River Styx, which Percy is under the impression that this is their final destination. And Nico's like, oh, we just have to uh, go to uh, the gates first because I uh, I need to get something or uh, this won't work. And Percy's like, what? But okay. So Mrs. O'Leary is like playing with Cerberus, which is so cute. <laughs> and Nico and Percy just kind of slip past Cerberus into the fields of Asphodel, where they run into Mrs. Dodds and two other Furies and... I mean, the other two Furies. And Nico yeah. weirded out that Percy recognizes Electo. He's like, how do you know Electo? Like, what the heck? This is when Nico reveals that he has tricked Percy and agreed to bring him to Hades. The person, not the place. The person and the place. Because Hades just wants to talk. So the Furies carry him and Nico to Hades Palace, where we meet Hades Persephone, and Demeter. Meeting lots of goddesses here. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about the... Um, once again, we're going to talk a little bit about the narrator of the audiobook here. Oh, gosh. The voices that the narrator, who shall not be named, uses. <laughs> you that you can't Google. Demeter <laughs> is awful, awful, awful. They're terrible. They sound like they've been smoking for the past 20 decades. <laughs> Both of them. They're the goddesses of spring and agriculture. Why do they sound like they are like minutes away from going to the hospital for lung cancer? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was very jarring. I was just like, what, what's happening? Who are they talking to? And then, like, wait for them to say, that Persephone said. Like, no. <laughs> Why is Persephone sounding like that? It's unhealthy. She That's needs so to weird. Leave the underworld. <laughs> I don't know why they can't just get a good audiobook and a good movie of this series. Come on. It shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> I feel like Logan Lerman could narrate the books really well. Just make him do it. Yeah, he probably could. <laughs> yeah. 
he's uh, he's done with that show that he bought made bet the bad show with Al Pacino. He's done with that. Let's get him on this now. <laughs> <sighs> Every time I think of Logan Lerman, I just think of him as Charlie from Perks, and then I'm sad. So let's not talk about that. Oh God, I watched that yesterday. I know you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> My mom, my mom, like we started it, and she was like, "I don't think I've seen this." And then oh it no! Got to, like this parts of like I think it was like the "Come On Eileen" song, and she she was just like, "Yeah, I think I remember this movie now because she's definitely seen it before." And she was just like, "Yeah, I remember this. This is a fun movie." And I was like, "Yeah, technically under Netflix, it's considered a comedy. What? It should not be considered a comedy." I know. I was very upset. <laughs> so I was considered a comedy. <laughs> Um, it's cute, but it is not funny. No. There's Very some dark. moments where you're going to chuckle, but at the end, you're going to sob. <laughs> yeah, like, high-key ugly cry. So, you know what? I like Logan Lerman, despite his role in the bad Percy Jackson movies. Oh, yeah. You can't not like L- Logan Lerman. He's the only good part. Like, the casting of those movies, though incorrect, was good <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah but we already talked about that back to back to the palace of the underworld here if you want to hear more about the movies you can do that in your own time so <laughs> Demeter and Persephone have some funny banter through the midst of this whole conversation and it's not really important to anything it's just funny yeah so I didn't really go into it that much, but it's cute. <laughs> Read the books. You'll get all the laughs. <laughs> we talk about the sad stuff here. <laughs> Hades had promised Nico information about his family and also not to hurt Percy um, if Nico brought Percy to him. And Percy is furious at Nico at this point. Like he is just like off the hook furious oh yeah yeah this is the part where percy does not understand how intimidating that he or how intimidating he is because god i we're in percy's perspective in this point and he is terrifying in his own like mind or whatever in his own mind's eye he is absolutely terrifying imagine just being a casual observer imagine being nico my little goth self would run away like, Nico is powerful. We've seen Nico being powerful and determined, and he's scared of Percy at this point. Yeah, and he was just trying to help. He's been tricked by his dad because, of course, he has been. And he's alone. Oh, he's just. Uh, Nico is all alone in the world. He thought he had one friend in Percy, and now that friend might be gone. Yeah. Ugh. And of course he's gonna, like, believe Hades. It's his father. And if Hades shows him any kindness, Nico's gonna be like, he doesn't hate me, yay. Yeah, and it's just this, it's the same way Percy would react if uh, if Poseidon ever asked him to do something. Yeah. It's the same way Clarice, or Clarice re- would react if, if Ares asked her to do th- something. It's the same thing, way, way everybody react if their godly parent asks them to do something. Exactly. Maybe Annabeth would question it. 
that's just because that's Annabeth. All the Athena kids would probably question anything, honestly. Maybe not Malcolm, if there was a ship involved. (laughs) (laughs) Aw, I love Malcolm. He's my favorite minor character. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so Hades does actually give Nico some information about his family. He tells Nico that his mother's name was Maria D'Angelo. Literally the most, like, generic Italian name. (laughs) Yeah. She was from Venice, but she lived in D.C. because she was the child of an ambassador, I think Hades said. So that's how Hades, like, came to know her. And Hades had... Bianca and Nico put in the Lotus Casino to keep them safe during World War II, especially since he said some of his other children were causing trouble. Mm-hmm, sure. And he's like, but it's not important that Nico doesn't remember his mother. He literally tells Nico that it's not important. Because he can remember her, and he's like, it's not important! What? So Nico's like, what about the lawyer who got us out of the casino? And Electo transforms into the lawyer, and she was the lawyer all along. Woo! I hate Hades right now. Yeah. He's pretty easy to hate. Yeah. So Hades brought Bianca and Nico out of the Lotus Casino to try to keep Percy from being the demigod of the Great Prophecy, only to one-up his brothers. Literally. (laughs) It's like, what? And it doesn't even work. No, it doesn't, because you can't... If a prophecy ain't about you, it ain't about you. You know what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. And what's his hope? That he'll keep Percy down here for 48 years, so the prophecy (laughs) doesn't come true, and Nico will have to do it in, what, four years? I guess. Just delaying it for four more years? But really, Percy is still alive, so it's going to happen no matter what when Percy turns 16. <gasps> well, Hades is the actual worst, and he's like, well, if he's not much now, talking about Nico, I'll grant you. Well, he's not not much now, I'll grant you. It would have been better if Bianca had lived. But give him four more years of training. We can hold out that long, surely. Nico will turn 16, as prophecy says, and then he will make the decision that will save the world, and I will be the king of the gods. It's like, are you insane? Literally cue maniacal laughter. (laughs) Yes, he is insane. (laughs) And it's so, ugh, it's so mean, because, ugh, I cannot get over that he says it would have been better if Bianca had lived. I know. Cannot get over that. It's the worst thing. It's the worst thing he said. And considering he said a lot of bad things. <laughs> he admits that his children is, like, one of his children is Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, and probably other bad guys during World War II. Yeah, seriously. So, okay. Yeah, sad, not cool. But... Nico's trying to get Hades to give him more information about his family, and Hades is like, go to your room, and he raises his hand, and Nico disappears. So, like, does Hades actually, or uh, does Nico actually have a room in the palace, you know? I like to think so. It's like, a, oh, it'll be a goth room to fit his little goth self. <laughs> and, like, just oh, his dream room, or his nightmare room. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 
It's kind of funny because Demeter's like, that boy needs to eat more. He's too skinny. He needs more cereal. I know. I feel like that would be a... It, it it would be a good dynamic for Nico to be in that house for a little bit. With it has to have Persephone and Demeter there as well, though. Yeah. If it's just Hades, bad things would happen. <laughs> yeah. But in the in the winter time, Nico's welcome to go and visit his dad and his stepmom and his step grandmother. Yeah, because this whole time Persephone. <laughs> yeah is trying to get Hades to just let Percy go. And um, she's like, oh, we can't make all the Half-Bloods suffer, Hades. Just let this one go. He's so nice. And Hades is like, no. (laughs) He's like, Like, literally, Persephone is the minor voice of reason. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. And uh, Hades says to Percy, he's like, you had no chance of defeating Kronos anyway. And by later tonight, the trap will be sprung. And Percy's like, wait, wait, back up. What trap? What trap? What trap? Why don't you tell the other gods about this trap? And Hades like, go away. I'll check on you in like 50 or 60 years. And waves him away to the dungeons. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Thanks for nothing, Hades. So now. On chapter eight, I take the I take the worst bath ever. I gave that three stars. I gave that five stars. Really? I did. I think I was just I had just finished um giving one of the dogs a bath, so <laughs> I could very easily picture a worst bath. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't really like baths that much. Every once in a while, I'm like, man, I wish I could take a bath and then forget about it for like six months. <laughs> man, I want to take a bath six months later. Huh. I smell really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I take showers. You're a crazy person. So, <laughs> shower frequently, children. Also wear deodorant. Also condition your... Also wash your hands. Yes. That too. I like you're you're going through, like, hygiene. Yeah. You know, some people don't wash their hair. They don't condition their hair. Hygiene is important. And make sure you get that conditioner out of your hair after you've conditioned it. Yes. And the shampoo. (laughs) Yep. If you have questions about personal hygiene. Read an American Girl doll book. Yes. Those were the best books. They like, I don't know. Yeah. Your body and me. <laughs> yeah. Your body and you, Quinn. Not your. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Percy finds himself in a cell with no bars, no windows, no door. The guards just shove him through the wall, and it becomes solid behind him. And there's, like, no air in there, so he's more likely to die in 15 minutes than 50 years. Probably not 15 minutes. It'll take a little bit more time than that, 15. too. Oh, 50. Five, I zero. think it's like 15. Okay. No. So he, he, Percy falls asleep, and he's like, oh, it is 7 a.m. I'm tired. It's also a way of conserving oxygen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if you're losing oxygen, you can go to sleep. <laughs> So he dreams about being on the porch of Rachel's beach house with Mr. and Mrs. Dare. 
for being served by a personal chef, which is my life goal to have a personal chef. <laughs> for real. And Rachel's just standing at the porch railing wearing a Van Gogh shirt and like looking over the water. And Percy's like, I wonder if she's thinking about how much it sucks that I'm not there because I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's that's it. Nothing more interesting. Well, isn't it that if you dream about someone, they're, they're thinking about you? So maybe she is. Oh, you never know. And Percy like kind of wonders why. Or it wonders if he'll ever see the ocean again, which is kind of sad because he's Percy. And so then that's all that really interesting happens. Nothing really interesting happens at all, actually. <laughs> and then is <laughs> And Percy is standing below the St. Louis Arch, which, if you remember, back in the day, they fought a battle there. Yeah, back in the day, in the lightning thief day. Yes. <laughs> yep. So there's a storm gathering overhead, and a reporter is talking about a collapsed skyscraper a few blocks away. And Percy recognizes the storm as Typhon and sees Zeus's master bolt flash through the sky into the center of the storm. And Typhon smashes another building and just collapses into rubble. And Artemis and Apollo are there fighting, and they're just relentlessly attacking, but Typhon is not slowing down, and he's wreaking havoc on his way across the country. Yeah, it's like when Zeus's master bolt hits him, and that's like the biggest gun you have. Yeah. Uh, and he barely pauses. Yeah, he's like, he, he like takes one step back and keeps going. Not good. No. So Percy wakes up, and like Nico's right beside him, and Percy like lunges on him and pins him down by the throat. He's like, what are you doing here? And Nico's like, I want to help escape and percy's like why should i trust you and nico's like you have, you have no choice and percy's like man why did he have to say something so logical <laughs> oh was that <laughs> that was zoe that was a bigger dog <laughs> <laughs> so percy releases nico and nico just kind of like more like retching until he's recovered <laughs> So, like, Percy was not messing around. Like, he had him pinned. Like, he was choking him. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. This is the point where it's like, how, how, what the, Percy does not understand his own strength. This is no. terrifying. Like, he's kind of going off the rails a little bit at this point. <laughs> yeah. He almost kills Nico. Yeah. It's, like, terrifying, but really cool at the same time. <laughs> Um, Percy's like, why do you want to help me? And Nico's like, swears that he didn't know that Hades was going to imprison Percy and try to make Nico the child of the prophecy, which Percy doesn't believe, but he has zero choice. And, but to follow Nico out of the cell and through the palace to like escape. But every, every time Nico uses his powers, he gets more and more exhausted. So like he keeps making walls disappear and like putting guards to sleep and stuff. So by the time they reach the fields of Asphodel, Percy's pretty much carrying Nico through the fields. And Percy's like, okay, we're out. We can make our way. And then down in the palace and Percy like draws Riptide and has to run carrying Nico through the fields, carrying Riptide in front of him to like discourage the spirits and skeletons and stuff. And the fields are huge. Like, it's not a small place. 
So Percy is like about to collapse from exhaustion when Mrs. O'Leary appears. Yay, doggos. Yay. Nico and Percy climb on um, and she runs with them through the gates past Cerberus who still wants to play back to the shores of the river Styx. So like they're pretty far away from the palace at this point. And Percy gives Nico ambrosia and we get Nico's great line uh, with great power comes great need to take a nap. Wake me up later. And Percy's like, oh, no, oh no, you're not going to sleep, my friend. And he get, takes a risk and gives Nico another square of ambrosia, which could literally kill Nico. Just say. I love that line. Like that so is good. that is mood so much. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's is a great line. So Nico tells Percy that he has to prepare himself before jumping into the river. Um, he has to stay anchored to his mortal self or he'll be lost in the river forever. And Percy gets one final warning not to complete the plan by the spirit of Achilles who appears out of nowhere and he still has an arrow sticking out of his calf and he looks like he just left a battle, which he did, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> he warns Percy that his battle prowess will be unmatched, like he will be indestructible at this point. But his weaknesses and failings will also increase. And what did Percy decide was his big failing? Oh, what was it? It was his loyalty or something. His, yeah. his friendships. He puts yeah. others in front of himself. Yeah, so that's get worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hooray. <laughs> Huzzah. And considering we're going into a war where a lot of people may die. This a lot of people will Percy die. Goes, uh, Percy's going to be in a lot of danger. Yeah. But anyone he fights in battle will also die. <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Zoe felt the need to chime in. Yep. I think there's kids or something playing next door. Oh. If they can't hear Zoe's barks, they're going to be like, what are these people talking about? I know. I was just like, I could probably edit some of them out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cute. It is. <laughs> so Achilles reveals that he spoke to Luke, and Percy realizes with what Nico has known for ages, obviously, that Luke has also come to the underworld to bathe in the river Styx, which is how he was able to host Kronos' spirit in his body without dissolving into dust. So that answers that question. Um, but Percy refuses to back down, so Achilles disappears. He's like, whatever then. Yeah. Hey, don't say I didn't warn you. So Nico is having second thoughts because of all the people who keep telling them not to do it. But Percy <laughs> is resolute in his plan now. And he's like, he has to choose where his like mortal point or like his anchor to the world of the living is going to be. So he chooses like the small of his back because it's not embarrassing, but it's covered by his armor. Yeah. And it's not somewhere that someone would immediately aim for on purpose. It's a good choice. I would say personally, I would choose like, I don't know. We're never mind. We'll bring this up for quest queries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So he focuses on that as his mortal point and he steps into the river Styx. And the pain of this is absolutely unbearable. And he's like, 
feels like he's just melting away. And he submerges completely in the water and he sees all the faces of this, these people that he loves, like Queen Sally, Tyson, Grover, who just says, <laughs> enchiladas! Percy's Percy just like, I don't see how that's helpful. I would say that's helpful. It makes you remember, ooh, I love being alive and eating food. Yeah, and Grover loves enchiladas more than anything else except yeah. Juniper and Percy. Goes, so, there you go. Juniper? Well, um, it so. goes Percy, Juniper, enchiladas. Yeah. Annabeth, wife. <laughs> I think it's probably Juniper, Percy, Enchiladas, the wild Annabeth. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, that's better. That's a better organization. Harvest <laughs> <laughs> chain of love. <laughs> and the pain is like overwhelming him and Percy is sure he's going to die. Then he hears this voice in the back of his head saying, remember your lifeline, dummy. Ben, hold on, seaweed brain. You're not getting away from me that easily. So Percy, like, looks up and he, like, sees Annabeth standing above him on the pier at the canoe lake at camp. And he's, she's, like, laughing at him for falling out of his canoe. And it's just this totally normal, but, like, loving and silly memory that he has of her. Oh, God, I love this moment. I know it's so great. So great. So in the memory or I don't know if it's a memory or if it's just something his mind created. I think it's something more that his mind created. Yeah. Because he in his everyday life he would have no need to be helped out of the lake. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but in his like mind tie thing and with is down for him to take her hand and he does and all these memories of her and like the people he loves come flooding back into his brain and he bursts out through the river and falls onto the sand next to Nico who's very shocked but relieved <laughs> and yeah I, I imagine it's like uh, Neville when Harry jumps out of the water at the tri-wizard <laughs> <laughs> yeah and Nico's like, oh, thank God, the thing I did to help him didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah, as soon as Percy goes in, oh my God, I killed Percy Jackson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Nico's like, points out that Percy's skin is like bright red, but Percy's not in any pain and it just fades back to normal like pretty quickly. Um, but moments later, Hades and his army appear and Mrs. O'Leary is like getting ready to pounce on them and defend her human. And Percy's like, Oh, hell no. Yeah. You are not. Kill my dog. <laughs> he just, like, lets out this yell and causes the entire, like, river to crash a wave over the army and dissolve them. Just by yelling. Controlling the river sticks. How badass it is. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, he's just getting more and more powerful. It's insane. So he charges and he's swinging destroying red coats left and right and then he launches himself in the hades chariot deflects a bolt of darkness off riptide knocks hades out of the chariot to the ground and pins him pins hades to the ground with riptide poised to stab right through his royal face and then he looks around and he realizes that there are no soldiers left none he has destroyed all of them that's like what like 500 people at least <laughs> Or skeleton. Probably. Single-handedly, man. Yeah, with just a sword. <sighs> yeah, in the river. Craziness. 
<laughs> so he orders Hades to tell him about the trap that Hades had mentioned. And he's like, because I'm a nice person, I'll let you go. And Hades is just like, peace, Jackson, and dissolves into nothingness. So Percy takes Hades' robe, which got left behind, so I'm assuming Hades is, like, naked somewhere. I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of funny to think about. (laughs) The god of the underworld just appearing back in his palace butt naked, like, my clothes! (laughs) So Percy takes the robe and drops it into the river, and it dissolves and, like, frees spirits that were trapped in it. And he orders Nico to go back to Hades and find out what the trap is. And Nico's like, I don't want to do that. Hades is going to hate me more than ever. And Hades hates him a lot. So. Yeah. And Percy's like, Percy's like, you have to. You owe me. And Nico, like, blushes because he's upset. But he can't deny it. And he's like, no, I want to come with you. I want to help. And Percy's like, you'll be more helpful down here. And Nico's like, oh, you don't trust me anymore. And Percy doesn't deny it. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no. He's just like, look, you are the only person who's going to be able to get Hades to talk. Please go figure out what's going on. And Nico's like, all right. He's not happy about this at all. But he's like, maybe I can get Hades to give me more information about my mom. And Percy's like, looks back up at the, you know, the door of Orpheus. And he's like, he says that he and Mrs. O'Leary have to go back up there to get this war started. It's time I found Luke. And I was just like, at that moment, I was like, mm-hmm, yep, child, Percy is gone. Yeah. Like, he's dead. He can't come to the phone. <laughs> like, And it's so sad that Nico's just like, oh, you don't trust me anymore. And at the moment, I don't know if Percy doesn't trust him anymore, if it's more... This is true. Like, everything that he said about Hades only listening to Nico, Nico's like, you are our only hope. It's true. (laughs) But at the same time, I do think that Percy probably does have to have, like, a little little sit down and think about and probably talk to Nico about whether or not he should trust him. Yeah. I mean, like, he is... You know, he has obviously very good reasons not to trust Nico right now, and he's upset. But at the same time, he has very good reasons to trust him. It's just a really hard position that he's in right now, and I think he does the best that he can do. Yeah, for sure. He was just in the freaking river of sticks. Can't ask him to be polite. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he doesn't currently have the mental capacity to deal with it. Like, he's got bigger things on his mind. Yeah. And he's like, useful, go do it. It's like, why are you questioning my, me right now? This is what needs to be done. <laughs> I don't care about your feelings yeah. right now. <laughs> the world's ending. Yeah. Poor Nico, like, he didn't know. No, he didn't. He was just a poor, manipulated kid. And he was manipulated by his dad. Yeah. That sucks. Mm-hmm. And Nico is also in a very bad position. It's Nico is suffering not only in this situation, but has been since like the day he left the Lotus Casino. Yeah, the day he left his mom's protection in 1941 or whatever. Yeah. 
And yeah, it's just really sad. It's like, you know, we don't really get a whole lot on Nico, um, like emotionally at this point. Like, he's not super developed yet. So he's just sad little lonely goth. Yeah, yeah. All right. So welcome to Bring On the Monsters. Bring On the Monsters. So we don't have any monsters this week. Oh, no. I know, technically we could talk about Morpheus in this section, but again, technically he's a god, so I loved him for, for Oh My Gods. So, welcome to Oh My Gods! Oh My Gods! <laughs> so, our first god that we meet this chapter, these in these chapters, is Hestia. Hestia was first born of Cronus and Gaia, but she was also the first swallowed. So when Zeus and Gaia <laughs> triggered Kronos to start throwing up all of all of his kids, um, the first he swallowed became the last born of the first generation of Olympian gods. So uh-huh. Hestia, though she was birthed first, she was the last Olympian. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, Hestia was among the first of the original 12 Olympians on the Olympian Council. We've talked about this before, but just a recap. So, on the council were Zeus, Poseidon, Hera, Demeter, Hestia, Aphrodite, Athena, Ares, Hephaestus, Hermes, Apollo, and Artemis. So, back then, it was an even male-to-female ratio. All the male gods didn't really appreciate that. Um, (laughs) Then comes Dionysus. He uh, comes in asking to be a part of the council, showing everybody how great his wine is (laughs) and how the people love him and his wine and he, how his wine is going to make him like a super prevalent God in this culture forever like, blah, 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 blah. And all the gods are like... He's not wrong. Exa- exactly, he's not wrong at all. <laughs> um, so all of the, all of the guy, gods on the council are sort of like, yeah, you're, you're a pretty cool dude. We would love to have you on your, our council. But the problem is, man, we can only have 12 Olympians. Um, we can't just add you in. But really, if... If they wanted to, they could have allowed Hades on the council full-time and then added Dionysus and then made it an evil 14 members on the council if they're worried about even numbers. Whatever. But instead, they had to have a big argument about whether or not Dionysus should come on the council because if Dionysus comes on the council, someone will have to leave. And obviously... None of the gods wanted to volunteer because, duh. And going to the <laughs> goddesses, all of them were also saying, no, why would I give up this position that I worked very hard for? I'm a woman in government. <laughs> but then yeah. they came across Hestia. Now, Hestia was the goddess of the hearth and home. We talked about this before in the like recap area. So she was worshipped every time someone would 
like would walk into their house. She would, was worshipped whenever a little kid in the backseat of a uh, of their at what, what would they be driving around in ancient Greek times? Their 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 a chariot. Their chariot. Um, every time one of those <laughs> little kids go, I want to go home. She she got a little something someone something. So and then also she gets a little bit of every offering made to the gods because it's her fire, you know. So she has been <laughs> no risk of going hungry in the least. And then also, uh, basically, Hestia was a very big deal in the ancient Greek times. She sort of started to to disappear a little bit in the Roman era. Um, but a lot of, a lot of gods did. Um, <laughs> what, did Romans not go home? I guess not. <laughs> no, they still, they, again, they, they would still say Hestia is very prominent in their, in their daily life, but it's not necessarily, they weren't pointing to Hestia to say, thank you for this hearth and home. It was more the Greeks no. that were saying, thank you, Hestia, directly. The Romans were just more like, I don't know. I like my house. More like we do, I guess. I don't know. I'm making things up right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I lost my spot. So, one second. Okay, and then also I think that she looked into the private life of the young upstart god Dionysus. Um, because after all, he has a home, so she probably has a spy in every home. Ha ha ha. Because, you know, <laughs> she, she's just like, I can see what you're doing. Yeah. And you're living I get it. Night. <laughs> <laughs> see, she's a little creepy girl to find in your, <laughs> in your woods. Um... <laughs> Um, and he, she probably saw a lot of gender fluidity in his home life, so she probably was like, you know what, he would be a good member of the council and would probably, he's able to flow both ways and the goddesses would be able to convince him over to her, their side if it, if need be, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so... She also, like, also, like, she was able to leave the council and get out of the drama. And she was a single virgin goddess. And because this is the era of, um, god life of everyone's trying to find their godly match, she was having to deal with a lot of, um, unwanted advances from a lot of single gods. So by leaving the main circle, she got a got rid of a lot of that extra attention that she didn't want and she got to keep all of the huh. power that she had well n not all maybe not all of it but most of the power huh. sounds like a good deal yeah. i think has and dionysus are my favorite oh, okay. <laughs> i don't know why mr d is the worst but i love like mr d like dionysus in the myths i know dionysus in the myth is awesome <laughs> It's like this, like, bisexual, gender-fluid dude who's just like, yeah, I make wine. I make wine. I make people go crazy for wine and for me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so on to our next god slash the guy that almost made it into the monster section, Morpheus. 
Morpheus is a minor god, um, which is why why he's on Kronos's side now. Sadness. Loser. But Morpheus is the son of Hypnos, who is the god of Seath. Or, what, sorry. Morpheus is the son of Hypnos, who is the god of sleep. So naturally, Morpheus is the god of dreams. So he creates dreams and he could appear in human form within those dreams to mortals. And he, because of this, he was used as a messenger for the gods. So entering mortals' dream and conveying some sort of divine message, like, I don't know, what's a divine message that someone might get? Um, I love you. Yeah. Babies. Or <laughs> Kronos is coming back to life. <laughs> Beware. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> Yeah, but so the Greeks didn't or didn't do much like personification of their dreams as in there wasn't a god of bad dreams and like there wasn't a specific guy that you would blame for that bad dream and you wouldn't point at another guy for a specific good dream. But Morpheus was sort of like he creates the dreams and he's the only one who's able to enter and enter the dream as a human form. He can enter it as any form. He could take any shape, but he was able to sort of convey a more welcoming presence. Uh, there was all, there were other uh, sons of Hypnos, and they also have sort of dream powers. Mm. And, and Hypnos is also called Somnus for the Rom- Romans. Um, and considering most of the knowledge that we have of Morpheus and his brothers uh, is from Ovid, who is a Roman, um, I guess, historian, mythologist, whatever, Roman writer, Ovid. He he was Roman. Um, (laughs) So all the names that he uses is Roman, and he's the one who really reported on Morpheus and his uh, kind uh, so Morpheus er, in Ovid, he only names two of Morpheus's other brothers, and I only am bringing this up because they are sort of uh, telling of what dreams were back then and now. So one was called Iklos by the gods, but he had another name by the mortals called Phobator. Now, what, Natalie? This is your test of. You're not looking at the page. (laughs) Right. So what do you think that Iklos would mean? This is what the gods are calling this guy. And remember, this guy would enter mortal's dreams. It sounds like Iker. It's spelled (laughs) I-C-E-L-O-S, if that helps you. Ice. Ice. I don't know. (laughs) And... Phobator by the mortals. So why would? What do you think that would mean? That sounds like phobia, or fear. So you're saying ice and fear? Is that your final answer? <laughs> yeah. Right, you're close on one yeah. of them. So Iklos means like. So the gods called him like. They 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 called him like because they liked him, I guess. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> so the mortals what? would call him the frightener. <laughs> Isn't that <See>? nice? <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, and I like—I sort of—I don't know. I think it's interesting that 
He has two names. The gods call him. Yeah, I like that dude. And the mortals are like, he's the most terrifying creature I've ever seen. <laughs> he's scary. Yeah. And so there was an, a different brother that was also named. And this is also someone, um, again, there was many, 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 many children. Literally, Hypnos had a thousand children. Uh, these are the only ones that we know <laughs> the names of. So this, the last oh, one that we know the name of is Phantasos. So what do you think that means? And that's spelled P-H-A-N-T-A-S-O-S. Um, like, isn't it like, see, there's too much pressure. And now I feel like if I don't answer this correctly. Well, it, I'll, I'll give you, like, it sounds a little bit like the word that it, it means. Isn't it like, isn't it related to like fantastic and like the things that are crazy, like hallucinating almost fantastic, like fantastic, like, whoa, that's wild, kind of fantastic. Yeah, so it means fantasy. Oh, so that's boom. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Thanks. <laughs> that was sort of a sidetrack because really we don't really care about Phantasos or Isolos or Phobator or whatever. <laughs> we really just care about Morpheus. Morpheus was the guy that was able to enter the dreams as a person, Ed, but still... He was, uh, Ovid still described him as, like, his, his true self. He could, he could make himself appear any way he wanted, but his true self was, like, a winged devil. Ooh. So. Thanks. Yeah. I wonder if it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course it is. <sighs> All right. Who's next? Orpheus. So, we don't meet Orpheus because he's dead, <laughs> but we do use Orpheus's tunnel. When does that stop? We literally met Achilles. He's dead. Uh, that's true. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a guess, valid point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could have had the choice of doing the story of Achilles or Orpheus today. We, or I chose Orpheus. So, Orpheus was the most talented mortal musician in the world. His voice sounded like an angel's, and his lyre sounded like a lyre an angel would use. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was the son of the king of Thrace and the muse Calliope, literally the goddess, the muse of music. Whenever he played, the world would stop and listen. Like, he was like a freaking Disney princess out there playing his little lyre. And, <laughs> and Bunny would come up and be like, I like the music. And <laughs> people loved him. He was like the first, I don't know, big musician. <laughs> he was the first rock star. Oh, jeez. So, even like Jason, as in Jason and the Argonaut, Re like recruited Orpheus to sail with the Argonauts, keeping the spirits up and the rowers on time. He is the reason that they were able to survive the sirens. Nice. Because Orpheus played music louder than the sirens' music. Hurrah! But like many musicians, Orpheus was a romantic at heart, and one day he fell in love with a beautiful young woman named Eurydice. Oh boy. Ooh. And after he fell in love, his music became even more beautiful. 
But one day, actually their wedding day, the couple was walking through a meadow and a poisonous snake snuck up and bit Eurydice's oh, heel no. and she died immediately. That's sad. Yeah. Orpheus was very upset. He went near mad with grief. His love had been taken from him just as they had found each other. In his grief, Orpheus made a vow to rescue her from the realm of the dead. Very few living souls had entered the underworld, and even fewer have left. But Orpheus believed that he had death was a mistake and that once he explained it that the gods would be on his side and she would come back to life it was like no problem all i need to do is talk to hades and sing him a song (laughs) so the first thing orpheus had to do was get to the underworld and he could like always i don't know like kill himself (laughs) that would always come with the problem of getting back from the underworld so he couldn't just die So, like always, there are many ways that he could have gotten through the underworld. Some say that he was able to just sing a little song and Chiron, the ferryman, just led him across the river sticks and was just like, I don't know, thank you for the tune, sir. Be on your way. Others say that he was able to find a path that Hermes used to send messages to the land of the dead. So he basically just sort of stuck to, snuck down a path that Hermes had already made. But as Uncle Rick like uh, Uncle Rick uh, refers, uh, some say that Orpheus was able to charm his way um, past Gaia herself. So, like, he was able to sing the little song to Gaia, and she was just like, I like you, and I like love. Or, I love love, so I'm going to open up a little tunnel. Wow. And she opens up a little tunnel into the underworld. Nice. So, Orpheus, just humming along, strumming his lyre, goes into the underworld. And he plays some music with Cerberus and the other guards of the underworld and he's just like, hey, I know I'm famous in all upstairs and I should be famous down here, so let me go see the king of the dead. And Cerberus and the other guards were like, we love you down here! You're awesome! Go ahead! So, next thing you know, he's in the castle with Hades. Oh boy. Or... Perhaps, again, different myths. Some say when he got to the castle, Hades was there. Some say it was Hades and Persephone. Some say it was just Persephone. I like the idea that it was just Persephone. Or you know what? No. I like the idea that it was Hades and Persephone, but Persephone was majorly the voice of reason. Well, yeah. (laughs) So he is greeted by Hades, the Lord of the Dead, and he's all grumpy and stuff, and Persephone, the queen of the underworld and goddess of spring. And Persephone and Hades were at a sort of rocky point in their relationship, because, like, you see, every time Persephone would enter the underworld, Hades would do everything in his power to make her stay, and as a result, spring was getting later and shorter every year. Persephone loved her husband, but she and she loved being queen of the underworld because it was like really the only time she was able to really like show her power. 
But she also really liked frolicking in the grass like freaking Sound of Music. So, uh, <laughs> and also, she loves love. Yes. So, Orpheus, in front of Persephone and grump-filled Hades, explains his love for Eurydice with a song, and Persephone was immediately convinced that he, that, that Eurydice deserves to live with the, uh, Odys- or Orpheus forever and ever, happily ever after. But Hades was just like, dude, she's dead, and she's mine because she's dead. That's, them's the rules. <laughs> um, but Persephone sort of convinces Hades, like, hey... I love love, and I love you, and you say that you love me, but you know what I don't love? I don't love you not loving love. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you need to love love and let Eurydice go to Orpheus. And Hades is like, oh, if I don't do this, I'll hear about it for a millennia. <laughs> so... Eurydice was summoned from the fields of Asphodel. She was now l- only a shadow of herself. Uh, Orpheus could what Orpheus was told you could lead her back to the land of the living, but he could not look back at her until they reached their destination. If he did, he would lose her forever. So he's not allowed to look at her while he's leaving you know yes she's following him they've got her hands held he's still singing his song probably (laughs) (laughs) so orpheus began to play his lyre again singing their song and leaving eurydice on the long journey back to the land of living getting out of the castle no problem it was a little hard back hard not to look back and see what server or how cerberus is reacting to eurydice a, a, a soul just strolling out of uh, of the underworld. Uh, uh, Orpheus really see how that would have interacted or was going to go down. Um, he remembered, do not look behind me. And he kept going forward. Good. Then they get into the tunnel. Things are getting cool. Like, uh, like they're getting closer and closer to the surface. As they get closer to the surface... You're, like he can tell by the feel of Eurydice's hand that she's growing a little bit more warm. She's getting a little more solid. She's communicating more, like they're chit chatting about their lives. Um, nice, nice, some like lovey dovey stuff on the way up, but still not looking behind because he knows the rules. But then comes. As he, like, looks ahead, he sees, there's light up ahead. Oh, my goodness. And he gets so excited. And he jumps up, and he runs ahead. He lets go of Eurydice, and he's just like, I'm getting out of here, Eurydice, come on. And Eurydice's like, dude, I died, like, yesterday. I'm gonna (laughs) take a stroll. Take a stroll. And he he gets out out of the tunnel, and he turns around. But he turned around too soon. Eurydice had not stepped out of the tunnel yet. And as he tur- and when he turned too early and locked eyes, they locked eyes in horror, and Eurydice began to fade 
back into the underworld. No! Gone forever. Yep. <sighs> it's not a happy Stupid story. Orpheus. I know. I, whenever I hear this story, I think of a ballet I went to see at the Joffrey Ballet in Chicago. And they did Orpheus a Eurydice and is like kind of a modern take on it. So uh, Eurydice dies in a car accident and then Orpheus is just beside himself, you know, and he has to go through, you know, the whole thing and like find her and all that. But it was a really, it's a weird and a cool ballet at the same time because they're like dancing ballet, but like singing opera at the same time. <laughs> but in like, there is one part like right after like she dies in the car accident where they're like uh Orpheus is like grieving her and all that and they they have the car there and they're showing her like being carried away to the underworld and then Orpheus is just over here and there's like a big mirror so you can see him twice it was it was weird but it was cool and when all this is over I you should definitely go see the Joffrey ballet because they're really cool well, I I was watching yesterday. I went through like a YouTube rabbit hole of bootleg Broadway shows, <laughs> um, and I found a relatively okay bootleg of Hades Town, which is the musical that like won all of the Tonys, um, and it's an ad. It's a it's a version of Orpheus and Eurydice. It is so good, and I've listened to the soundtrack. Um, I love the soundtrack. But it's one of those musicals that you don't, at least I, I've, I've had, I have trouble following the plot just oh. by look, re- listening to this soundtrack. Uh. But that said, the sounds, the songs are still just like standalone beautiful. Um, but I was like, ooh, there's a bootleg of this musical. I'm going to watch it. And I didn't end up, I, I had it on. But I wasn't actually watching it. Surprise. So I started just listening to it again. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. And I love that. That's yeah, a good musical. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you ready to get going on per 70, Hades and Demeter? I am. So. We could have done these all three individually, but since their relationship is so intertwined in, these, in this book and in just mythology, we're going to go over... Their their story together, um, and I feel again. I feel like we have talked about this before, but you know what? No harm in recapping a little bit. Yeah. So as we can see in chapter eight, the Hades Persephone and Demeter dynamic is complicated to say the least. It's not really um that of a couple who had or. It, Mm, have an on-off relationship and a mother-in-law who really does not like her son-in-law slash brother (laughs) and the daughter is with her husband and the or whenever the daughter is with her husband the mom throws a fit and stops going to work and as a result (laughs) many many people die it's a weird relationship to say the least so Persephone is the daughter of Zeus and Demeter. Demeter, being the goddess of grain and the harvest and all things agriculture, Persephone was naturally another nature goddess. 
but in the beginning, she didn't really have a specific role. So in the beginning, there were no seasons. You didn't really have to do a harvest. Uh, it was harvest all year round. You just needed to go in the backyard and pick some stuff. And Persephone was sort of just uh, friends with the nymphs and would run around fields picking flowers and laughing. <laughs> so, because it was like, it, it was always different, differing shades of spring and summer. So, at that time, also, all of the single gods were looking for partners for eternity. And Hades was. Depending on what your myth, one of them or not one of them. <laughs> Again, myths are complicated. So some myths say that he was looking at Persephone from afar and was just like, yeah, I want her to be my lawfully wedded wife. And others say that Zeus was looking around seeing all of these single gods hitting on his daughter and seeing his lonely, broody, angry brother in the underworld um, just planning against, making plans against Zeus and, like, not enjoying his life as a god at all. And he sees, hmm, maybe if I give Zeus my awesomest daughter, uh, well, maybe not the Osmus. I don't know. Probably that's probably hard for Zeus to say. Osmus daughter. <laughs> but Zeus is sort of like if I gave if I gave Hades my daughter, uh, he probably won't hate me as much. <laughs> so, <laughs> so cut to some general spring summer day. On a beautiful hillside where Persephone is running around sound of music style and all of a sudden the earth begins to shake and the like trees begin to quake and the ground opens up and swallows Persephone, leaving her nymph friends to report her kidnapping in panicky panicky tones to Demeter. So again, just to recap a little bit, I guess, or like just like reiterate, um, we don't know who opened the opened the ground, entered, opened the entrance to the underworld for Persephone. Uh, it could have been Zeus. It could have been Hades. Uh, it could have been Zeus and Hades working together. Either way, uh, Di- uh, uh, Demeter does not like the fact that her daughter is missing. Well, surprise, no. surprise. <laughs> yeah. But in the underworld, we're not even going to pay attention to Demeter for a second. In the underworld, Persephone is sort of just um, there. She was, wasn't was there one minute, and she was the next. So she's a little confused. And I like the idea that her uh, Hades didn't uh, know that she was on her way. So uh, while she's wandering around, there's no one there to like greet her. So she's just wandering through the underworld. Uh, eventually, she sort of just wanders into a nice little garden, and it has a nice little variety of plants, and like, like all of them are perfect specimens, even though they like have no sunshine. They've got some uh, poplar trees and some pomegranate trees, bushes. They grow on trees. Trees. All I right. love the idea of her just like walking around like what am i doing here 
<laughs> yeah, she still has her flower crown on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she she is sort of just like after running around in the fields above and falling into the underground and then like walking all over literal hell. Uh, <laughs> Persephone was a bit hungry. Uh, technically, the gods don't really have to eat, but sometimes it's just like a little more comfortable to eat. You know, just like that. Yeah. Semblance of normalcy gives you some comfort. Uh, so Persephone had just started to sort of munch in on a pomegranate when Hades found her. And that would have been a meeting to behold. It would be a whole bunch of like, what are you doing here? Why, what do you mean? What am I doing here? Why did you bring me here? Well, I didn't bring you here. But a lot of yelling. A lot of why. And then <laughs> eventually it would just be like, Okay, how do you leave? <laughs> um, <laughs> so then, then they started sort of like thinking, all right, we got to get you back to the land of the sunshine and get you out of Hades' hairs. So, um, in the land of the sunshine, uh, uh, that land desperately wanted Persephone back <laughs> because uh, once uh, once news spread to Demeter. Uh, that her beloved daughter had been mysteriously kidnapped and no sign could be found of her, uh, Demeter went on strike. Crops began to fail. The world began to grow cold. No gr- new crops would grow and people Uh-oh. began to die. <laughs> um, eventually, Hades and Persephone, again, time time moves weird in the underworld, I'm sure. So eventually Hades and Persephone sort of, like, make a move. Like, Persephone's just like, hey, it's been great having a vacation here, <laughs> but I should probably get going. And Hades is like, loved having you here. Ray of sunshine. Get out of my hair. I don't want you anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> even though really he, he loved her so much. Um, but he did sort of see a need for Persephone to go back to the land of sunshine and happiness because all this time he's been getting a little, some messages from the world above. You see, his, his inf- the influx into the underworld has been up. A lot more people are dying, so that's a little strange. And then also he keeps getting these like really panicky messages from Zeus <laughs> sort of saying, hey, hey, you know that girl I sort of dropped off at your house? Could you like give her back? <laughs> um, hey, um, uh, her mom's like really angry. Could you like, um, hi, hi, hey, I know you don't like me. It's <laughs> me again. And eventually Hades is like, you know what, these- <laughs> it's me again. You know that girl you have? <laughs> um... Eventually, they sort of like, fine, we'll, we'll take you back. And so Hades and Persephone make a move to return to the surface. And they go to the Olympian Council, probably on some, like, uh, I don't know, the winter solstice. Or, like, the summer solstice. Like, hey, I'm back. And, but this is when they come across some issues. Because Persephone had eaten six pomegranate seeds. And if you eat food from the underworld, you can never truly leave it. Right. So explaining the situation to Demeter and Zeus, uh, Demeter was not happy. She was just like, what? What? You've tricked my daughter into living in the, in the underworld forever. And Zeus was like, dude, dude you can't keep, keep her forever because all the mortals will die. And if all the mortals will die, no one's worshipping us. No one's worshipping us. <laughs> 
we're all gonna die. So, so eventually they came into an agreement that since Persephone ate six seeds, she would have to spend six months of every year in the underworld. Oh. Uh, and just because they're spending ha- now half of their life lives together, uh, literally, uh, Z- Z- uh, Zeus uh, marries Persephone and Hades, and hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. Mm. Hades is a lot more happy than he lets on, uh, <laughs> as always. <laughs> Persephone is ecstatic because she has grown to love him, but she's also ecstatic because, oh, I get to love this guy in the underworld and be an awesome queen, but then after six months, I get to go back to my back to the land of sunshine in springtime when everyone's getting busy and have a grand old time. Yeah, and so it was like a like Persephone was real happy with the situation, at least to begin with. I don't know how she's feeling with the situation in the last Olympia. <laughs> She seems annoyed that her mother is there. Yeah, Hi. and also she's there, and it's in the middle of summer. Yeah. So. It's like they went there to stay safe. Yeah. They're quarantining with Hades. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There's a lot of gods today. I know, it was a lot of gods. <laughs> So are you ready for quest queries? Yee! All right, so just like a re- reiteration of this thing we almost started getting into earlier. Where do you think, um, uh, or, sorry, um, when do you think uh, Luke went to visit Miss, Mrs. Castellan? I am still going for between, wait. What did we say earlier? Is like three hours ago. <laughs> um, between um, Sea of Monsters and that, no, Titan's Curse was what I think you were saying, and I was saying Lightning Thief and Sea of Monsters. That's too early, I think, because he's like, yeah, yeah. I think it's like, I mean, okay, so they him getting sicker and sicker and like getting turning gray and all that stuff but he falls off the cliff and then he doesn't die obviously (laughs) and then he's like yeah and and i think because he doesn't die he already had the curse of achilles then Right? Because he doesn't die after falling off yeah. the cliff. Yeah, when does he fall off the cliff? End of Titan's Curse. Oh. Yeah. So it's probably... But that's also the book where he is, uh, seems the most sickly. Oh. So I wonder if it, maybe it's between Sea of Monsters and Titan's Curse, and then... In Titan's Curse, he's all sickly and stuff because even though he has the curse of Achilles and is like super strong and stuff, um, holding the sky is hard for a mortal. Yeah. And we don't know what his like uh, weakness is either. Yeah. So maybe that's also affecting him. Okay. 
So where would your weak weak point be? Where would your Achilles heel or <laughs> Percy Jackson's low, lower back or... <laughs> I was thinking, like, wouldn't the bottom of your foot be good? But then, like, what if you stepped on something? Yeah. What if, like, a, the top of your foot... No, because then someone will step on your toe. Yeah. <laughs> How bad does it have to be to kill you? I mean, Achilles got shot with an arrow. Yeah. Would it have to be just, like, someone poked it wrong <laughs> and you could die, or... I think you have to, like, fall in battle, you know? What about, like, your... Maybe, like, I would say, what about, like, you know, when you're... You know what? All right, so the center of your armpit... <laughs> I don't want there. Let's do three inches above the center of the armpit. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking like your shoulder or something because you would have armor over it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because then the armpit wouldn't be good because you don't have armpit armor there. So as soon as you raise your arm... Yeah, because someone can stab you. (laughs) As soon as you do your Hitler... Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> as soon as you put your arms up to put your hair in a ponytail so I get stab uh, you you get shot in the arm yeah so you don't want that no. somewhere like on your chest or your back like your torso area <laughs> maybe the mm, tippy top of your head yeah I mean if- or your yeah. eyeball yeah you gotta shoot me in my eyeball. I was would die anyway. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's not a bad place. <laughs> not necessarily. If someone shot me in my eyeball, I wouldn't necessarily die. I would definitely lose my eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's fun. so where would you put your mortal weakness point achilles heel thing i don't know what what do you call that achilles heel (laughs) your mortal point (laughs) i know but it's not necessarily on your heel (laughs) i would put it like on the front of like my shoulder because if i have armor over it then it's protected but then like someone will like grab your shoulder one no, you have to be, like, stabbed or something. Someone patting you on your shoulder. No, you have to be attacked. That's not we're getting attacked. <laughs> Where would you okay. put yours, then? So, I'll attack your shoulder. But armor! <laughs> I'll wait for your armor to be off and attack your shoulder. <laughs> okay, well, where would you put yours? I said above my uh, armpit, three inches above my armpit. So it would be like basically. But then you're gonna get stabbed. Well, no, it's basically um, it's on, it's on the bicep, but barely. <laughs> that still seems like a really weak point. <laughs> oh, it's very weak. As soon as someone grabs me by the arm aggressively, I'm dead. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <sighs> All right. So that is it for this episode. <laughs> I'm calling it now. You're calling it? All right. Yep. So if you want to. So. Or, yeah. 
if you want to tell us about your mortal point and yell about how our mortal points are stupid and how we're going to die in battle, you can tweet us or follow us or uh, Instagram us at four underscore 600 and on Tumblr, floor 600 podcast. Uh, also, don't forget to send us your ideas for the baby centaur's name. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash floor 600 to help us improve this podcast and get some cool perks like bonus episodes, stickers, private group, and more. Um, email us at floor600.podcast at gmail.com and you might get featured and feel famous with us. And as always, rate, review, subscribe, and thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you so very, very, very much. Goodbye. Bye. Ha, 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 ha.